This podcast is sponsored by AAA, the American Automobile Association. AAA members get discounts on tickets, resort accommodations, and more at Walt Disney World and other Orlando attractions. If you book a qualifying Walt Disney World Resort vacation package at select AAA offices, you'll receive a free subscription to touringplans.com, as well as dedicated trip planning resources just for AAA clients. Go to AAA.com or ask your local AAA travel agent for more details on this offer. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's Len Testa, and today we're going to be exploring the West Coast Disney Park. So Jim and I are actually starting today in Disneyland Plaza, right between the middle of, uh, of Disneyland and DCA. And welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Len. Just, we just had a, what, a wonderful breakfast at La Brea Bakery? Yes, we had the Tar Pit Special. There we go. Yes, That's uh, right. Mastodon. Ooh, very fresh. Ooh, <laughs> minty. It's fantastic. So, so, uh, so we're, this is a treat, because uh, we actually made it out to the West Coast. Took us a while. Took us a while. And it just, I, I guess, what intrigues me about this is that, again, this is where it all began, and ironically enough, this is where it continues now, that there's been so much change in the park that's behind us here, Disney's uh, California Adventure, just in the last five years. And it's, again, it's kind of the microcosm for the Disney company right now. Again, it's so much upheaval, so much change. So today's, on today's episode, we're going to talk about how DCA came to be? Yes, yes. Because, again, this is one of these, these parks that, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to say cursed. <laughs> but it, it, is, it is Halloween. Well, you know, it, it, it had a rough history. I mean, for example, we're standing literally dead center. If you know these two parks, there's a seal between the two of them. And if we look to our left, if we look to our right, here are the ticket booths. Yeah. We're, and, we're actually standing on the seal right now mm-hmm. as we as we talk. And again, so. wonderful urban design because, again, if you're coming off of, you know, from the parking garage, you know, the, the, here are the ticket booths. Or if you're being dropped off by the bus, ticket booths right there. But again, that was the design prior to 9-11. Oh, right, right. And again, it's, it's a wonderful flow, wonderful look, and now here comes the tragedy with the World Trade Center and that sort of thing. And he had to build these temporary bag checks, right. which, you know, again, screwed up what the look was, what the flow was supposed to be like. And this- That's right, yeah. So we're, uh, we're standing in the middle, and, uh, and to, obviously to our left and our right, we've got the Streamline Modern of the Disney California Adventure facade. We've got the classic Disneyland facade. And then we've got the ticket booths. But you're right, beyond that, it looks like circus tents. No, that's it exactly. And it just I guess that's what's frustrating about it is that, you know, here were all these ideas. Here was the design. You know, and you know and great, great urban planning went into this park, but it got tripped up by outside events. And you gotta wonder, um, if September eleventh hadn't happened, and that would have been a wonderful thing, it didn't happen. But this park was already having problems at that point, whether it was attendance wise or just the notion that there wasn't there wasn't the right mix of elements it just didn't appeal in the way folks had wanted you gotta wonder if that hadn't happened would we see this redo would we have seen Disney double down on the way that they did because you gotta remember when they first built DCA and the money they spent for the theme park the the brand new hotel the, the Grand Californian and the uh, you know downtown Disney that was 1.4 billion dollars and you know if you, you know your numbers the redo of DCA all by itself was $1.1 billion, or depending on who you talk to, it was $1.6. Um, so they had to pour, and, and here's the irony, that if they'd actually gone forward with the original version of Westcott, mm-hmm. that was a $3 billion resort. So whether wow. they meant to or not, they spent $3 billion on changing this from our, the world's most famous regional theme park 
to a multi-day destination. Wow. Um, and you got to wonder sometimes if some of the stuff that was on the table that wound up getting cut, would that have made the difference? I mean, for example, if we look over here at DCA, we've just walked past the entrance. Mm -hmm. um, directly off to our, our left here is the Hollywood uh, backlot area. And one of the original plans was that, you know, Universal has this great, the Gibson Amphitheater. Right. Where, you know, it's, it's literally built, you know, in the theme park and guests who are staying in the theme park can buy tickets for events. But people who aren't in the theme park can flow through, can enter and see, you know, concerts by people like Sheryl Crow and that sort of thing. And Disney's notion was like, well, that really works for Universal. Could we, should we do that? And mm -hmm. for a time, there was a thing known as the Disneyland Bowl that was going to seat 5,000 people. But the idea was it was going to sit right at the edge of the property here so guests who were outside the park could come in and go to the event, but likewise, people who were inside. Oh, like a dual border, yeah. inside and outside. Okay. And and then the notion was, well, all right, but, you know, to be honest, we have to face the fact that we have weather. So at that point, they began talking about um, moving the Hyperion Theater from its central location in the park right now and literally bumping it up against the wall and creating one lobby that fed from the outside to the street. Right. And once I, you know, so... Literally during the day, you could do your theme park shows on stage, and then starting at um, you know at seven or eight o'clock at night, you know you 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 do concerts, concerts, yeah. and in fact, the real irony of it is that you have this situation now where so many corporate groups will actually buy out Hollywood Boulevard and stage their parties there, and <laughs> Cheryl Crow is performing regularly in that building. She's she's <laughs> kind of the go-to corporate person, but you know the irony, of the very thing that Disney wanted to do, have name performers play in there. They are, but they're just for corporate groups rather than the public. Oh, that's so, funny. But anyway, we'll blitz out the exit here. That was such a short visit. I really enjoyed going huh, through that. Look park. at that. So they noticed that we're, we're taking the really long exit. Uh, Jim, before we go out, let's look at the, the line to get back in. Oh, boy. Okay. We're not going to keep going. So, um, All right, well, you wanna, we, can, we can walk out and walk back in. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. We're heading this way. All right, folks. The things we do, we do for this podcast. We're walking out... And the, speaking of uh, speaking of the security being an afterthought, so they've got uh, two two tents. The line to get in, the line to get in now extends all the way back. Is that Harbor? Mm-hmm. Yep. Ex extends most of the way back to Harbor Boulevard from uh, from the entrance, and we just left. I, I I hope it doesn't rain in the next two hours. We're gonna do fine. Okay, but now you have to understand. In order to save money, Disney farmed a lot of its. Um, on this project again because that really became kind of driving the bus on DCA they had spent so much money on the development of Westcott version 1 and 2 um, so and what they ended up doing was oh, so they, they spent R&D money on Westcott but then they didn't develop it yeah, and that's it exactly so the notion is when DCA started to go forward it's like look we need to save money on this so let's hire some outside firms so we're not spending our own dough so um now, you can't really see it from over here, but you can see the little touches of yellow. The, the, there's actually the roadway there that guests are coming in on is bright yellow. Yep. And we're surrounded by green cones. And, you know, so a lot of people look at this and go, okay, well, sort of, you know, the, the one of the basic driving principles of um, the whole uh, Disneyland Resort redo from uh, the early 90s was the Garden District. You know, it's okay. This is all about garden. This is all about being green. It's like, that's not really what happened. Uh, <laughs> see, they hired a Boston firm 
uh, who did urban planning, and they developed the entire bus drop-off complex for this park. And we're standing over, we're looking directly at the bus uh, bus drop-off complex now. And I was actually here for the press conference when they were showing off their wonderful, brand-new, multi-million-dollar, um, you know, bus complex. And You live an exciting life, Jim. Well, I know, I know, <laughs> but it, it was worth it for this story alone. All so right. the, the, the nice Boston architect is, you know, getting quizzed about, well, why did you do this? Why did you use these colors? And so, oh, well, of course, you know, that's, I, you know, I wanted to use something from, you know, Disney's library of films. And it's just sort of like, well, you know, I mean, Disney made The Wizard of Oz. So, <laughs> so it's like, the Yellow Brick Road, you walk up the Yellow Brick Road, and the, the green is for the Emerald City that you reach when you, and it was like, I, <laughs> you, was I, it really? I stood there watching the Disney rep, and it was like, you know, just watching this, their face This is fall. a joke? And it's like, oh, no. You know, it's just like, <laughs> but there, in front of the press, telling them the story about, it's the Wizard of Oz, and that wonderful Disney film. And At I'm that like, point, you just want to tell them, okay, look, we're just going to start this over, okay? And here's what not to say. Uh, it's the Wizard of Oz. But again, you, you felt, you, you, you genuinely felt for... The, the, the Disney rub because again you never ask a question at a press conference you don't already know the answer to so oh, Lord. Whatever, let's see if we can push our way out to, to Harbor and talk about I mean because so much of what happened with Disney's California Adventure really goes all the way back to Walt okay because um, you have to understand Walt loved Disneyland but he hated what happened outside of Disneyland he hated the, the cheap little motels that leaped up. He hated the neon signs. Right. Uh, in fact, a lot of what drove him to buy so much land in Florida and put such a big buffer between him and his outside competition was what was happening in Anaheim. Okay. And, you know, but at the same time, he knew from, you know, the huge crowds they had every day here that it was, an, you know, could we or should we look at perhaps bringing, you know, doing a second gate? Do we want to skate across here? Or? Okay, yeah. Are we allowed to walk here? Well, I, Famous last words. I'm sure we're about to find out. Um, you know, Walt? <laughs> you can't walk here. We're not walking. We're trespassing. That's right. We're moving quickly. Don't hit us. Um, Hi, we're idiots. Excuse us. <laughs> anyway. Um, All right, so uh, so Walt, uh, Walt wants to do a second gate. Well, Walt wants to do, but at the same time, he doesn't want to do Disneyland 2. Okay. You know, he wants to do um, something different. In fact, if you look at what he did during the 1960s, uh, whether it was, you know, looking at Westcott, the city, or it was the Steamboat Springs, excuse me, uh, Riverboat Square thing they were doing for St. Louis, where they're going to do a theme park inside, indoors. In fact, that's, that's where the whole idea for Pirates of the Caribbean came from. He was he was a guy who didn't want, want to repeat himself, and he was if he was going to do something in the parking lot at Disneyland, it was going to be different. And this is really sad to say this, but Harrison Buzz Price, the guy who worked for Stanford Research, who found the land for Disneyland, he's actually got his papers at the Rosen Institute in Orlando. Yep. And you know, there's upwards of 30 boxes of material down there. And there's a bunch of us Disney historian dweeby type guys who have been waiting. You know, he actually put sort of a, a time limit on when people get a, could get access to this material. It had to be after both he and his wife had passed away. Really? And there's a lot of us who have been waiting to get into those boxes because he did all... <laughs> Do you call up every day and say, hey, Mrs. Price, how's it going? Just checking in. Okay, bye. Well, no, in fact... Is that, is that a cough I hear, Mrs. Price? It's so sad you say that, because I literally got... Somebody reached out, like, three weeks ago. It's like, he passed away. 
<laughs> really? Yes. That's creepy. It is. It's just the notion of now trying to figure out how to go to the Rosen Institute. It's like, hi, you know that thing that says we can get into the boxes? Can we get into the boxes? <laughs> yeah. Because in one of the boxes, literally, is the, it's described as the California Recreation Theme Park. California Recreation Theme Park. Huh, sounds familiar. And, but again, from the 1960s, as in Walt had a hand in this. Oh, really? So it's like, oh, and so everybody wants to see what Walt Disney would have done with DC. Anyway, we are now out at the corner of Harbor. And yeah, so we're, of- we're in the cover, cover uh, sorry, the corner of uh, Harbor and East Shuttle area. <laughs> we're actually uh, standing on the, uh, the star in the sidewalk that says Walt Disney, Disneyland, Anaheim. There we go. And it still looks pretty good, actually, despite all the foot traffic it gets. But now you got to, again, you're going to have to imagine this, but the entire, what you're looking at now between the median with the plantings and the trees and the fact that, look, all of the signage is basically the same shape, same size. Yep. That was Two or three story buildings. That was all part of the DCA, um, the, the, the agreement to build this theme park, that, that Disney cut a deal with the, the people of Anaheim, with the city of Anaheim, to the effect of, we're going to do this, but we want the area. We're, to, we're planning on building a multi-day destination resort, but it's got to look pretty. So, so they started enforcing like signage codes. Well, they, they, they this, it was interesting. They got the city on board with it. They rewrote the language for around you know the actual resort area. It's it's called. In fact, that is the designation for the um, the hundred and ten thousand acres that surround um, that Disneyland is the center of. It's known as the uh, Anaheim Re- Recreation Area. And but they wanted. Uniform signage. They wanted um, the notion of as soon as you came off the highway, you know, you saw trees. That, that in fact, it kind of harkens back to the fact that when when Disneyland was built, this was all orchards. You know, you came off the highway and you drove by orange fields. You drove by strawberry fields. Sure. So this was trying to harken back to that, and it took a lot of you know strong arming because again, one of um, among the things Disney wanted to do was they wanted, uh, and in fact, anybody who drives around here knows that, you know, you come off of the, the five and you go straight, basically straight into the park. You go straight yeah, into you make a left turn and you're there, yeah. And uh, let's be blunt here. It's it's kind of changed the Disneyland Resort into a walled city, much the same way that Orlando <laughs> is. It is, with, a, with less of a buffer zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're uh, when you're in downtown Disney, we, we were, the part that we were just walking, I mean, it's you can't really tell that all of this exists. And I think that's a conscious effort on Disney's part. As we're we're standing right here, so we've got uh, we're standing right here. We've got Harbor Boulevard, which you guys can hear um, to our immediate right. It's like 30 yards away. You can see the traffic. But to our right, you've got to, to your point about being a walled city. You've got a berm, some grass. Then you've got the first green fence. Yep. Then you've got some trees. Then you've got a second green fence, which is infinitely higher than the first. Green yeah, fence. and it's it, and it's uh, it's got that uh, sort of fabric on it, so you can't see inside. It is. It's a little walled city. Yep. And but again, it, it's one of these situations where you couldn't do this without the cooperation of the feds, because that's that's the other thing that I think a lot of people fixate on and don't get entirely right about the DCA story. They fixate on the problems the theme park had, but. You know, when you look at the success of the Garden District, how much nicer Anaheim looks, or for that matter, the Downtown Disney Entertainment Retail District, which mm-hmm. was hit right out of the box, the the Grand Californian, which we'll be getting to at the, toward the tail end of this talk. Um, there were a lot of successful elements. The problem was the theme park. You know, 
but at the same time, you know, that they were there were other factors here. I mean, for example, Disney wasn't in the hotel business out here. Right. You know, uh, in fact, it Maybe was. Um, I want to say it was two years after Disney World opened up, and they saw how much money you could make out of owning a hotel. You know, so early seventies. Seventy-three was the first time they went because they were, again, you got to remember the Rather Corporation owned the Disneyland Hotel. You know, in fact, that that's where it got interesting because Walt was so desperate to get a hotel built next to his theme park, but it was out in the middle of nowhere. All right, yeah. again. You know, and in fact, what's kind of interesting about the whole Disneyland history is they were terrified for July, both July 16th and July 17th, 1955. You know, the, the, the party and then the official opening day of Disneyland, they were terrified that the highway ramps wouldn't be finished. You know, just literally people would drive out, there's Disneyland, I can't get to it. <laughs> you know, and, and ironically enough, same story with the opening of, of California Adventure. They, they, were, they were really sweating whether or not all these highway improvements would have been in place in time for February 8th, 2001. And they, they got lucky. They, it, the, the planets aligned and got everything done. But anyway. Um, so, so going back, so it's the mid-60s. Mid-60s. Disney, Disney himself, Walt himself, has this idea for a California recreation area. But he he passes away. Right. And then... And we, what, what happens to the plant? Well, it, 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 it basically goes to sleep until Michael Eisner comes on board as head of the company. And Michael, who walked in the door at 1984, right. you know, two years after Epcot opened, and... He himself opened um, Disney MGM in 89 in Florida, saw the value of when you added, you know, what you did for your attendance rates, what you did for your hotel room rates when you had the second gate or a third gate. Oh, because by that point he had seen the impact of the second gate of Epcot and the third gate of the studios. Okay, got it. So this is a guy who's like, okay, we got to do something in California. And so he leans heavily on the Imagineers. And there was, Tony Baxter, for example, came up with this this fantastical version of the park. In fact, it was if you know his Discovery Bay project for the parks. In fact, we'll we'll be talking about that in the Disneyland podcast. We'll be recording tomorrow. Um, he wanted to do a whole park that was sort of Jules Verne steampunk fantasy. You know, in fact, the folding a lump of Dreamfinder in there. And what ends up happening is that that doesn't go forward because. Eisner sitting at his desk and goes, how much are the restaurants at Epcot making? You know, how much? You know, and it's like, and, and just the notion of, well, why don't we do something like that? Why don't, why don't we, we do, do a food-themed park? Well, you know, the, 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 the international <laughs> thing next. coupled yeah, yeah. with, you know, but but first things first. They, they knew they had to get a hotel. So it's, it's kind of one of the more infamous stories in Disney history. The, the so, so Walt's having dinner. Who is it? The Rather Corporation? Jack Rather. He's the... the, Jack! Jack! You're going to do me a favor, Jack. Well, the the, the (laughs) thing, and it it was quite a favor, because in order to get the hotel built here, he agreed, he gave Jack Rather a hundred-year lease on the property. All right? Mm -hmm. And we're talking... I want to say 28 acres right at the edge of, of, of Disneyland. But it's like, you got that for 100 years. And not only that, you have the naming rights in California. If you want to build another Disney hotel, you can put the Disney name on it. And it's a, there was a lot of language built into this deal. Really? But here's the thing. Rather, kind of got in trouble. I mean, they, they were a company that uh, they made Lassie. The television show. They okay. made the Lone Ranger television show. But they so, mo- so Walt walks in, slaps down a piece of paper, and says, hundred years? We meant dog years. <laughs> ah, suckers. Well, Walt, Walt was so grateful to, to Rather that nothing happened during his lifetime. Okay. But and now Eisner's in charge. And they're like, okay. It's like 18 years after Walt's dead. Yeah, and okay. it's kind of like, and it's like, how do we do this? Because it's like, 
you know, they came, they made another run at them, I want to say in 87. Okay. And they just couldn't come to terms financially. That, 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 I think the stock pike, uh, you know, it was also, there was some talk about a stock swap and the Disney thing that tanked for a little bit. Oh, they had green mail going on before Eisner came in. There so. we go. All right, so it just it didn't have the same um, amount of money, you know, that, that rather wanted some serious dough to give this up. Yeah, yeah. So, so Disney lawyers are going over the deal, over the deal, over the deal, and they're like, wait a minute, the monorail. And because, again, that's the only hotel that's serviced by the monorail. Mm-hmm. And they go over the language. It's like, well, what does it say about fees for the monorail? It says, well, we can raise them. Oh, one billion dollars! <laughs> Pretty close, <laughs> really. Pretty close. <laughs> what they did is they basically they turned to rather and said, "We are, you know, we're moving the decibel points significantly on what it's going to cost to operate the, um, you know, the monorail to your resort." And in fact, to the point that it will be a deal breaker with anybody else you try to sell this hotel to. So you have to talk to us. And they literally they strong armed them into a deal. Whereby they had to sell, and I believe that was '88. They finally closed the deal, so they had their hotel, and so now it's like, okay, we have a hotel now, and we have land, and let's start looking seriously building a theme park. And so, and again, we started. They started talking about doing Westcott. Okay, so Disney gets the Disneyland Hotel, and just to regroup, you know, that's 26 acres. Plus, it turns out there's 84 other acres that um, that rather has leased around the property. Uh, including the parking lot. So it's sort of like, it's really a win-win. But where it gets interesting is that with the Disneyland Hotel, they get the other land holdings that Rather owns. And that includes the Spruce Goose, the Queen Mary down in Long Beach. Plus, there's language in the contract that says that Disney has the right to build out into Long Beach Harbor 236 acres. In the harbor? In the harbor. Wow. And it's just one of these things, anybody else would look like, okay, we're building a marina. And Disney was like, ooh. And so, again, (laughs) Disney goes quiet for a little while. And then suddenly in August of 1990, Disney announces the Port Disney Project, which literally is five luxury hotels, a 235-acre theme park called Disney Seas, and cruise line station, and coincidentally, oh, look, a marina. And it involves building out into Long Beach Harbor. And, of course, Long Beach is thrilled Oh, yeah, they're getting a development, sure. But Anaheim stands at the outside of this going, uh, um, uh, hello? 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 Uh, Remember us, your first wife? (laughs) Well, as it turns out, they had plans for the first wife. (laughs) um, We now jump ahead to 91, and May of 1991, they reveal that they're talking about making Westcott. Westcott. Western version of Epcot. Yeah, but... But taking a lot of the ideas of of Epcot and finessing them, whether it's, you know, because land here is a premium. We're not Florida. Right. So what they decided to do, the, the icon for this park was going to be Space Station Earth. It was going to be a 300-foot-tall golden sphere. Um, that, you know, just picture it towering. You know, we're, we're walking back to a DCA now. Yeah, so we're walking back from Harbor Boulevard along the... Uh... Along the the paths of the Emerald City, <laughs> I'll never forget that now. And uh, so we've got DCA on our left, we've got uh, Disneyland on our right, and in front of us is the uh, are the security booths, which are, are pretty packed today, actually. All so, right. So anyway, so on our left will be a giant space station Earth. So, but here's where it gets interesting: the park it's kind of really inverting the Epcot formula. What they opt to do is they take they put 
Base Station Earth and dead center of the park and surrounded on all four sides with the international areas. So you oh, really? walk in. So Future World surrounded by the uh, World Showcase. Yeah, and, but then it gets even stranger because they actually have things like Wonders of Life. They have all of the attractions. What they've done is they've dug down, you know, into the center of the park. Future World is buried. Really? You know, underground. It, underground. 43 square acres they were going to clear out. In fact, that, that's what's kind of ironic about this whole story is the land that they were potentially throwing into the harbor at, at Long Beach was going to be coming from Anaheim, the 43 square acres that they dug we're, out. We're exporting Anaheim to Long Beach. There you go, and throwing it into the Pacific. Anyway, so you, you jump ahead, but the other really, really ingenious part of this is that, you know, face it, Disneyland is known for its burn, the thing that keeps the outside world outside. Right. You know, and they wanted to max out the hotel space, and they couldn't figure out how to do it until they came up with the notion of, well, wait a minute, if all of our international areas are five stories tall... Ah. That's the berm. You can't see out into the world because, again, you're in Paris and Paris towers over you. But the attractions, restaurants, shops are floors one and two. Oh. The hotels... Are, five. Yeah. And oh, clever. It was, it was a very clever... In fact, the, the name for the program was Live the Dream. You know, the notion is for, for years people have talked about wanting to stay inside of Disney theme parks. And finally, they were going to get the shot to do it. Wow, okay. So we're, uh, we're in downtown Disney. And we're continuing on the story of Westcott? Westcott. Because, again, you know, the if you know the story of Westcott, it included what was known as the Disneyland Center, which was going to, you know, the, the shopping, eating, dining area. Because eating and dining are different. Right. Um, yeah, that, eating is just eating. Dining like, is an experience. Ooh, there we go. That cozied up against a six-acre lake that was going to create, recreate, you know, California icons. Uh, whether it was, for example, the Avalon Ballroom from uh, out on uh, Catalina. And, okay. you know, that sort of thing. It was going to be very, you know, the Hotel Coronado. Very, very California-centric idea. But This is keeping in with the whole California Recreation Area theme. Well, you have to understand, the Westcott was international. The California stuff was basically outside. It was for the Disneyland Center. And the notion of, look, if you're coming to, to California to come to the Disneyland Resort, this new multi-day destination resort, right. you wanted, you know, you don't want to leave to go to San Diego. Hey, we put the car out of there. You don't want to go to Catalina. <laughs> San Diego to you. There we go. And San and, Diego's going, it's not San Diego. Well, th- but this is where the idea gets interesting because, um, so they begin breaking down the pricing for Westcott, and it's a $3 billion resort. That coupled with the fact that the pushback from the Anaheim locals We've been very patient for 35 plus years. What with all the fireworks yeah, <laughs> and right. the crowds and the hike into the street, and they're like, "Let me get this straight." I get up in the morning and I'm looking at a 300 foot tall metal stand. You know, it's a beach ball. It's like not happening. And so, you know, Disney, and more to the point, they begin to look at what it's going to cost to build this. Okay. And it's just little, all right. We got to make. You got to. We got to economize. We got to figure out something. So. They, what, did they have a number in mind that they were trying to hit? Or? Well, you know, they, they let's put it this way. They went from at one point having 4,600 hotel rooms to the revised plan, dumped it down to 1,800. Okay. So, so, you know, they were... Almost a third. Yeah. I mean, they were really, really pushing to try to figure out how to make this more affordable. And um, what they ended up doing was, um, you know, it, it just, you know, they, they, they did the next version of Westcott literally borrowed from the physical Westcott that, that only they inverted it. You came in through the World Showcase area. In fact, okay. you their version of the Americas was uh, the Crystal Palace. It was going to ape the architecture across the way of uh, Main Street. Okay. 
and then all of uh, the future world stuff was going to be crammed into one giant building on the other side of the lake. And in fact, you know, and the icon for the park, rather than um, the giant ball, they actually, I mean, do you know the 1939 World's Fair, the Trilon and Perisphere, the rounded shape with the, the spike sticking up next to yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, Okay, so the thinking was, okay, so Epcot on the East Coast will have the ball, and Westcott will have the little spiky, spiky. thing. <laughs> so there we go. We've made the Trilon of the Perisphere. So, um, but it ends up, again, just it costs too much. And that coupled with the fact that Disney is looking at what's happening to its earnings um, off of, you know, getting too ambitious and building too big for Disneyland Paris. Okay. And so it's about middle of 94, Eisner officially pulls the plug. It's like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. We're not doing Westcott. You know, let's, but we want to do Second Gate. And more to the point, they had already pushed through, you know, they had lots of agreements in place with the state and the city of Anaheim about you know, the beautification outside of the park and the highway ramps, it's like, so you gotta build something. Oh, so the state came back and said, look, we made all these accommodations for you. You gotta, you gotta do something? There was a slight push. I mean, more, but more to the point, Disney recognized that they were leaving money on the table, that, that in order to be a multi-day destination resort, they had to do something, so. So the, so the legislature's looking at them going, you know, because imagine both Disney and the uh, the various local and state governments had to expend some sort of political capital oh, saying we're going to give disney these breaks we're going to give disney x in order to get y and even if it doesn't go through it still leaves a bad taste with the people who don't want to do the development right the anti-development people no, no matter what even if you don't do it it's like well you agreed to do it the fact that it didn't happen is is sort of secondary okay yeah, yeah, so now the government's going to disney saying okay look you know we've we've paid the political price we've got nothing back well, again, we're still early enough in the process that, you know, there's no cement shoes being threatened. Okay, but it's right. just sort of like, you know, we're building it's highway ramps. We, and yeah. it's like, where are these highway ramps going to? Okay. All, right. All right, so now it's August uh, 1994. And Imagineers go off for a design charrette. And they take folks from brand management. They take folks from operations of the park. And for two days, they sit in a hotel. And they beat their heads against the wall. And... Eventually, it's Marty Scalara, Kathy Magnum, Eric Jacobson, who come back and said, look, we were already talking about doing California on the outside. Why don't we just do a park that celebrates California? In California. In California. And just the notion is, well, why would we do that? Well, again, the same concept we were talking about for Disneyland Center, that people could come to this one place and get the very best of California. Without having to actually go there. And, you know... In a weird moment, they signed off on it. I mean, <laughs> it's like, all right, that, that kind of makes sense. It was sense. the mid-90s? Well, mid, you know. well, you know, again, you know, just, it was, again, it, this was Eisner entering his dark period. Now, you got to remember that the, the first 10 years that Michael Eisner was in charge of the Disney company, 1984 to 1994, he could literally do no wrong. I mean, right. you know, this was a guy who, you know, just found money and, and greenlit all sorts of projects. It was starting in literally mid-94 where Michael went in doubt. It's like, is there a cheaper way to do this? And in the case of, of California Adventure, it's like, well, yeah, there's, we can recycle attractions if you want. I mean, for example, we've got Muppet Vision 3D from the studios. More to the point, if we're going to you know, do something that celebrates Hollywood, we can probably pull some concepts out of the studios and put them in Hollywood District. This was also about the same time that Disney's America, the park they were going to build in Virginia, crashed and burned. Right. 
And it's like, well, let's, you know, we spent all that money on development. Is there anything in there we can pull out? And it's like, well, yeah, we've got Victory Field, and we had this kind of interesting attraction where we're going to have people fly. And it's like, all right, let's use that. Uh, we had, you know, a, a area that celebrated the American farm. Can we? Yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> and same time, Port Disney has crashed and burned, and it had a wonderful area that celebrated the Pacific Ocean parks, the, you know, the, the theme parks with a boardwalk. And it had, you know, in fact, one of the icons of the park was this giant Ferris wheel with a sun face on it. And it's like, all right, okay, we're going to do that. And so literally you are cherry picking all of these pieces off of corpses of theme parks that Disney hasn't built. Wow. And, you know, and then just layering, you know, pouring that California sauce straight onto it. <laughs> California sauce. And, you know. I and think it has Chipotle in it. There we go. But, you know, but at the same time, it, it's a notion of, all right. How are we going to do, you know, because, because again, we're going to be a full day resort. You know, we need a retail area. We need hotels. And so, you know, one of the first things they did is they went after the Pan Pacific, which was, uh, you can actually, it's right next to the Disneyland Hotel. Right. And this was an, this was an Asian hotel, right? It was, it was, it was owned by, was it owned by the Japanese? It was actually owned by the, the, I want to say this right, the Tokyo Corporation, the T-O-K-Y-U. Corp. Tokyo. And they built it, was, it here. It was built by them? Yeah, a 500-room hotel. You know, it was kind of interesting. Disney went at them initially, and the, the Japanese came back at them and said, I want to say this is 1990. They, they, they went at them. Okay. Because they needed, the, you know, when the first version of Epcot's coming up, and they pushed back and said, no, $47 million isn't enough money. You know, you're going to have to do better. Wow. And then uh, six years later, when they finally closed the deal, the Japanese got $36 million. They get a, <laughs> you know, they should have taken the first Oh, because the uh, Japanese economy had tanked at that point. That's, that's exactly. right. Yeah, they went through the lost decade. So, I mean, that's it exactly. So that they, they, all right, okay. 47? No. Did we say 36? 36 is great. Oh, fabulous. Fine, please. And, and put it in yen in a mailbox. All right. <laughs> so now you end up in this, this weird situation where it's like, okay, so we got the Disneyland Hotel. We've got the Pan Pacific. We really should do a, a hotel that celebrates California. So, so what? Uh, real quick. So, the Pan Pacific. Have you stayed there? Um, it's it. Since they've done their, I was in there after they did their Pacific Pier redo, where it's you know, I mean, you know, in fact, that that's the real irony is that if they had gone forward with the original plan, in fact, that there's they keep circling back on this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the notion was that what would make you feel compelled to stay at that hotel was it was going to have a boardwalk themed, uh, literally, there was going to be a boardwalk that went across Disneyland Drive that you could walk up oh, basically really? from the second or third floor across the traffic and straight into the park, you know. Yeah, because right now, I mean, I've, I've stayed there. There's there's nothing really compelling about the the hotel. It's sort of generically themed lobby. The, uh, the rooms have, you know, soft goods that are uh, Disney characters and everything, but the overall hotel feels... Uh, like a like a moderate at, at Walt Disney World. There's nothing there's nothing that I would say that would recommend lead me to recommend the hotel other than maybe the price. And what I thought Disney was going for there was you know how like in Walt Disney World they've got values, moderates, and deluxes. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was going to be their value resort if they if they had one. Well, it's kind of a watch this space situation. I mean, I I I've talked with folks in development of the company, and every literally every five years. It cycles into a spot of we're pulling down that hotel and we're building something that we can actually use. Because again, it's just it's but there it's been a triage situation. Obviously, it is. It, that's that's how they, you know they they know that they, they can do they can't do anything major to the rooms because the room sizes are fixed. I think really they're just sort of tinkering on the edges with it. That it's like 
we've got this hotel, it's at this price point. It allows us to justify the higher costs of the Disneyland Hotel and the, uh, and the Grand California. No, absolutely. But the, I, I would anticipate within the next five to ten years, now that they basically, you know, they fixed DCA, they've, they've done a wonderful retheming of the Disneyland Hotel. I mean, they still have some issues with Downtown Disney, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment, because it's been pr- it's difficult to get the right mix of, of clientele for this. But that rapidly is coming up the list of this doesn't fit our portfolio. So let's hold this down because I remember right next to it is of course one of the the you know the satellite parking lots and it's like all oh, right yeah you know there's additional turf here if we choose to do something particularly if we commit I mean in fact that's that's another fascinating part of the story is that parking garage all right that's a ten thousand you know that's six stories tall mm-hmm. ten thousand room for ten thousand cars they built the entire thing in fact they had to have that in place before they could start building in the parking lot. And so, inside of 20 months, they put that entire parking garage in place. Now, wow. un- understand that concrete takes more than 20 months to, to cure. fully cure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so there, you know, um, that's buildings always had some interesting issues. In fact, go ahead and park. I- I'm sure it will be here when you come back. <laughs> Almost very definitely, <laughs> probably. But, you know, Disney Legal actually insisted when they were talking about doing it, it's like, you know, they looked over the safety data for, for parking garages. It's like, look, they're infamous for having bad traction. Now, the higher you build them, the more they, and more exposed they are. You know, the floors get wet and people crash into one another. So it's like, in order to placate Disney Legal, when you next time you park in the Disneyland parking lot, look at the swirls on the floor. Those are all hand-done. There's over 8 million of them. Wow. Oh, you know, so they take a trowel in the wet concrete and they swirl it? That's it exactly. For traction. For, that texture was put there deliberately by some poor slob on his knees, all right, just so your Vovo won't drive into another Vovo. Wow. But anyway, all right, so we're, we're sitting here now in downtown Disney. Yeah, in case you guys uh, missed it, the uh, they turned up the volume sometime in the, after we started the uh, recording the show. So we're, we're in the middle of downtown Disney right now. We're by... Uh, we're by a Wonderground Gallery, the uh, the Jazz Kitchen, and uh, and a tortilla place, and but, uh, House of Blues. But again, you know, it, it, and but this is classic. Let's build something with somebody else's money. So, for example, we've got Ralph Brennan, we've got the House of Blues. I mean, you know, these are all tenants that Disney right. agreed to come on board with here, um, but they had to agree, you know, for for Disney's design for this. I mean, for example, look over there at you know uh, D Street. That building is deliberately that height so you don't see the theme park that's beyond. Oh, neat. You know, I mean, all of these buildings are artificially tall, so you're in this 20-acre retail corridor, which, again, because it twists, you know, you can't quite see the end. Um, I I, I think my favorite part of the story, if you look at, you know, these giant trees that are here, um, you know, that that spread throughout the the thing in planters, um, these were all... (laughs) Used to line the streets of uh, Culver City, California. Of these trees? Yep. Um, in fact, it's it's uh, kind of interesting story. Uh, they're, they're sort of shaped like broccoli, by the way. So for the <laughs> for you guys that are uh, that are listening at home, they're um, they're green tops, but the tops of the leaves, I guess they've they've pruned the branches. So imagine a tree that's like forty feet tall, maybe thirty feet tall, but only the top six or seven feet have leaves. And then it's branches down to about uh, 10 feet high. And then from there, it's the trunk of the tree. So blank trunk, blank branches for, for you know, like 15 feet. And then at the very top, um, this sort of circular plate of green leaves. Yep. 
Well, these are California ficuses, and again, they were originally found in Culver City, California. And Paul Comstock, who was the head of landscape on this project, he actually worked for Bill Evans. He, he was an intern. Bill Evans was the guy who actually landscaped the original Disneyland. Okay. And in fact, Bill used to tell Paul stories about how when they were building Disneyland, and they were literally they were building the five. Bill would drive out as they finished construction for the day, and whatever trees were directly ahead, they would harvest and pull up to Disneyland. So <laughs> a lot of the trees that are in Disneyland now were, were slated to die, but Bill went out there at you know five or six o'clock at night with a crew and would pull them out and bring them back to Disneyland. <laughs> so you're not going to be needing these, you know. So this was tradition of saving trees. So, <laughs> but the funny thing is, is the construction crew probably left every every night, going, "I wonder if the elves are going to come back tomorrow morning, so that we don't have to pull those trees ourselves." And they'd come back in the morning and say and dance to themselves around the truck, saying, "The elves were here. The elves were here." I was thinking more rabid beaver, but I like your okay, version better. Right. Okay, so anyway, so you know, Paul is actually working on this project and gets a call from from Bill's widow, and it's just that. You know, remember when you used to walk the dog when you were an intern, those ficus trees you'd walk by? Culver City is expanding the road, and they're all going down. And, you know, do you know where these, a place these could go to? And it's like, coincidentally, I do. I do. Huh. And, but, again, from a, a, a fiscal planning point of view, um, you know, they, they, of the 60 trees that were set aside, they, they 29 of them uh, were, you know, the right height, the right look for Disneyland. But they had to literally cut this deal with the uh, state of California to the effect of, look, you're going to harvest these trees and transport them up to Anaheim. Um, you're going to have to do it between 11 o'clock at night and 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and they did So it. it looks like you're stealing them. So, so we have plausible <laughs> deniability. There you go. So, but, um, but this is all part of creating, and again, the notion was the Garden District. And, and boy, did they commit to this idea. I mean, if you look actually at the planter's, that these are think these oh, these trees are standing in. They're all leaf shaped. The fountain we're looking at here is oh, it's leaf shaped. I never noticed that before. Yeah. But, so the uh... but it gets even crazier if we, we were to double back and go back to the monorail station. The the covering for the monorail station are three giant leaves. It's all uh... all nailing home the idea that this is you know a garden district. So um, so so we're, we're we're sitting in the middle of the uh, of uh, downtown Disney. We're looking straight ahead at the Disneyland Hotel. Back and sort of around the corner to us is um, is the, en- the entrance to Disneyland Plaza. Why did they shape it like this? Why wasn't it just a straight line? Well, um, to, to, to maximize space. Or? I you know I hate to say this, but but when you meander, you know again if you're, you're straight, you can you can build up speed and actually get to the park quickly. Okay. On the other hand, a curvy, twisty path with lots of things that get in your way forces you to look into shop windows. Forces uh, you to oh look, they're selling candy apples, honey. We must go in here. This is all devious retail. Devious uh, retail. So. That's a, that would be a great name for a company, wouldn't it? Devious <laughs> Retail Inc. Okay. <laughs> Len and I have to close now. Go, go, go <laughs> contact the lawyers. <laughs> so, well, anyway, from here, I guess let's go to the real success of, of this project and go take a look at the Grand Californian. That's right. So the uh, the Grand Californian is uh, is smack dab in the what is this, fog? <laughs> we're walking, and it's like we're going through the middle of a barbecue that's gone horribly awry. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, so we're going to head over to the uh, to the Grand Californian now. All right, uh, on the way to uh, the Grand Californian, Jim and I stopped off at uh, World of Disney. Jim, I understand that there's a story involved with World of oh, Disney? Oh, well, all right. Again, you got to understand, Paul is trying to come up with the 4,000 trees 
that you needed for um, for downtown Disney. And he's at Imagineering, and one day he's driving up to work and notices that, hey, they're expanding the streets in Glendale at 1401 Flower Street. And, and that means the trees that are actually in front of Imagineering are now up for grabs. And unfortunately, one of the trees he's really, really interested in one of the trees he's really, really interested in. All right, got I it. know it's 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 an odd sentence, but um, belongs. You know, it's right outside Marty Scalar's office. <laughs> you know, again, you know, senior VP, you know, main creator for. And so he goes into Marty one day, and you know, it's like Marty, they're going to take your tree, and you know, would you like it to have a good home? And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, all right, you know, never figuring that. You know, again, someday I may ask her a favor. <laughs> And so, you know, it takes two years before they're finally ready to grab the tree. And so, you know, Marty comes into work one day and there's these burly men outside his, his office window grabbing his tree. And he, you know, he, he's forgotten that he's promised oh, yeah, to pull. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. So it's like, tree thief, tree thief! <laughs> and it's like, Marty, I have a piece of paper there here that you signed. <laughs> you signed two years ago. You know, and so, and what's worth is they're taking two trees and that Marty hadn't told John Hench that the other tree that shaded John's office was going. <laughs> so, oh, by the way, read your fine print. You know, and so it's like, oh, geez. So in, in, in to honor, you know, the two men whose trees were stolen, I, let me introduce you to Marty the tree and John the tree. Oh, the two trees. That's The tree funny. trees named after the, the imaginary legends. And, and what's interesting is that Paul Comstock came into work the very next day and Marty had a special name tag made up for him, Tree Thief. Nice. So, <laughs> nice. That's great. All right, let's continue on to the uh, to the Grand California. All right, so we're uh, we're about to walk from the trans- uh, through the transition from DCA to uh, to Disney's uh, Grand California Hotel. Yeah, we're following uh, going through the the big uh, arched hallway. So uh, Grand California is uh, arts and crafts. Very Start. much so. Very much so. In fact, I mean, you notice the, these are hand wrought gates. In fact, you've got your blue moon that's been built right into them. Huh. Um, when Disney was looking to build this hotel. They interviewed 600 artisans and settled on 25 of them. Wow. And those folks then were handed different elements of the park, and some of them were professionals, and some were people who were literally working out of their basements. And the guy behind us, just who did the uh, the iron gates, it's like, really? Don't you want a grown-up? So, <laughs> so. Don't, don't you want a professional to do this? So. But, oh, you gotta, this is one of my favorite parts of the hotel here. This is the Breeze Courtyard. Oh, so the, this is the courtyard where, uh, let's give a shout-out here to uh, to our former co-worker, Henry Work. He had his wedding reception right here. Did he really? It was lovely. I would imagine, because, again, you have this forest. But So we're, we're in the middle of the courtyard. So the, the courtyard that, uh, uh, that is made by the surrounding uh, wings of the hotel, there's this giant circle. And actually, the monorail goes right through the middle of the circle, and it's a little lobby area. But this is where it gets strange because again we have we're surrounded by fully grown trees. We are, and there's 187 of them. And care to guess how they got them in here? Uh, tree elves. <laughs> no, woodland creatures. Benevolent woodland creatures, Jim. Oh, that that would be yeah, that would be so much cheaper than teamsters. <laughs> um, but the reality was that good old they, fashioned union labor. Go ahead. You know, they 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 were building the hotel and they were they wanted this because again. Craftsman is all about balance, whether it's both inside and outside. It's heart, head, and hand. So it was a notion of we have to have this hotel that brings the outside in, and how do we do that? Eventually what they decided to do is they they picked that moment where they were far enough along in the construction of the hotel, because obviously there were two choices. You could helicopter them in, you could crane them in, 
Um, you could drag them through the lobby while the carpet's down. And <laughs> yeah, right. What they decided to do, they picked literally the week in uh, construction. This was August of 99, where they could bring the tree. They had not enclosed the four walls of the hotel. They could bring all these trees in and plant them. And they stood here throughout the, the, the completion of the construction of the hotel. Really? Yep. So, so they finished the. In, so they worked inside out in yep. finishing the hotel. Well, I, I, but I guess you, you pretty much have to do that, don't no, you? No, no, no. Absolutely, absolutely. But you know that we were talking just a little bit earlier about how this is an oddly des- designed hotel. I mean, there's, it, I mean, it's charming. I mean, it's got some great stuff to it. But the fact that you know, when you think about it, there is no back of the house. You know, every right. side of this either faces downtown Disney or the street. Or, you yeah. know, the theme park. Yeah, it's completely surrounded by public spaces. So, you know, for example, where's the loading dock? You Magic. Know? Well, actually, no, the basement. <laughs> okay. You know, that, that they were spending so much money on this hotel, they, they felt they had to get some of it back with corporate meeting space. So, you know, there's 20,000 square feet of, of meeting space tucked in the corner here facing onto Disneyland Drive. 20,000 is not a huge number in terms of... But it's enough it's to enough, get... It's enough to get medium-sized groups here. That's it, exactly. And that's what Disney was trying to do. I mean, face it, this was a 751-room hotel. It was never going to be a true convention hotel. Right, but, right. but just enough to get you, you know, if you're doing a corporate retreat or that sort of thing. Yeah. But no, it, it's, it's, it's a beautifully designed space. And in fact, for those of you who are fans of Wilderness Lodge or Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge... This was, uh, again, Peter Dominic who, who designed this oh, hotel. Oh, he did this one too? Yeah. Well, that's, I, I think I, I told the story on an er, earlier podcast, but I love this thing. It, Peter, back in the day, he started, his first job was working at Disneyland. Yeah, so. And he worked in the parking lot. He parked cars. And it was like, so years later when Disney came to him and it said, hey, we're going to do a hotel for California. And it's like, what do you want to do? And um, okay. And where is it? It's the parking lot. So, oh, I'm back in the parking lot. <laughs> Well, anyway, let, let's let's duck out to the front. So, because again, this is the inside here areas here. They, they tried to make as casual as possible, whereas the front of the hotel is that much more formal. Right in the back, it's sort of pretty much <coughs> your green spaces. It's all greens. Now we're coming up in the lobby right now. So the lobby has a, the lobby transitions from like faux stone. It's really concrete, but it looks like stone into sort of a colored hardwood floors and then into marble inlaid or inlaid marble floors and it's a huge space if you guys are familiar with the wilderness lodge or the animal kingdom lodge you've got uh, one two three four five six story uh six story atrium the same sort of like huge chandelier you know lighting fixture things you've got uh registration uh to the left when you come in you've got restaurants and shops sort of back into the right and then you've got this huge cavernous area where with couches and there's a huge fireplace which is the fireplace is actually my favorite detail of the entire oh, no, no. And, and but what's interesting again, again inside outside that same fireplace if you go outside is double-sided that there's yep, fireplace yep. out there uh, it, by the way the the thing you were mentioning about the the marble floors yeah what's kind of cool about this and this is a design choice that if you're up on the sixth floor looking down this pattern coupled with the rug there it all looks like it's one rug really so clever and the, the, also the thing you mentioned, too, about the inside-outside spaces. So they're using natural uh, rock mm-hmm. uh, on one side of the, uh, the hotel. It's sort of a flower pattern in the, um, in, the, in the marble. You've got lots of exposed timber, lots of green, lots of ambient light, too, coming in. They've got huge windows up at the top on the sixth floor. And really all around, uh, they've got a lot of, a, lot of you know, a decent amount of natural light coming in. But there's an insane amount of art and crap. I mean, for example, just the stained glass windows over here 
for the entrance. Um, you know, it's the very first thing you see when you come in the door. That's right. It's a pretty, it's pretty uh, impressive entrance. Usually, when I come into this hotel, I'm coming in through Paradise Pier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know. Okay. Well, all right. Let, let's let's wander this way. All right, so we're walking uh, through the lobby right now. We've got lots, lots of people checking in. It's uh, sort of around uh, nudish in, uh, nudish, in the uh, in the afternoon. So good. Everything looks uh, everywhere you look. Whether it's, for example, you know, you've got the it's celebration of nature. Whether it's the dragonflies or the leaves, you know, building the rock. Oh right. Yes, yeah, so that's interesting. So the uh, so the lamps themselves, they're sort of the Tiffany style lamps, but uh, instead of being abstract geometric patterns, it's pink leaves, green leaves. Dragonflies, fruit. That's uh, that's. Huh. So they were thinking about it. It's not like they picked these up on eBay and just said, "Yeah, let's slap them in." Oh, the bar. We're coming up on the bar. Well, this is. But the story of this bar is kind of insane. If you look. Oh, nice lounge. Well, but if you, if you, what's absolutely killer about this is you look at all the paneling. Yep. This is from all of it. One tree. Really, all the paneling is from one tree. One sequoia. That, they uh, kill the sequoia to make a bar? Well, no, no, the, the sequoia. The, the <laughs> Hold sequoia. on, wait, there's a, the, the Disney lawyers compel me to make the following explanation. <laughs> the sequoia had already fallen over. Oh, all right. okay, all right, all right, fair enough. It wasn't their fault, all right? <laughs> but I, every It committed of, suicide. That's all right. It sometimes was depressed. I want to go to Disney! <laughs> so, um, sometimes when a tree gets sad. But, you know, the, so if you look at the panel, but even the piece up there where you see the artist, you know, with the peacock, right. same tree. I, oh, so, uh, so above the bar is a carving. Yeah, I it just again, it, it's this is such a great little cozy space. And, and <laughs> if you look out from here, for example, we've got the pool area with our, you know, our two heated pools and our kiddie pool. And but for a lot of people, the biggest draw of this hotel is the fact that it's again, it's a it's the first hotel, domestic hotel. Uh, let's stress here. That's in a theme park. I mean, literally, you can walk out the back door here yep. and go into uh, to DCA. And that was the big draw. And this was a success right out of the box to the point where when Disney was looking to do its first West Coast DVC, didn't do it at Disneyland Hotel. You know, That's right, even though they, they could have dedicated an entire building to it, right, because yep. they had three. No, here was, this was the hotel that people most wanted to get into, so that's where they decided to put DVC. Huh. So, I've, I've stayed at this hotel a couple of times. I... It's not a bad hotel. I really like the theming quite a bit. The thing for me is the price yeah. is is so high that for the you know for less money I'd rather stay at the Disneyland Hotel, which in and of itself was well, a separate episode for one thing. But the Disneyland Hotel is not a bad hotel. No, no, not at all. And it fit particularly after its most recent redo. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's I really I like this hotel. I love the theming. Yeah, I like arts and crafts style. The color scheme is great. The location can't be beat. It's just the cost for me because, you know, you're looking at four or $500 a night. No, absolutely. But but at the same time, I mean, think about it. You're, you're, think about it. You're standing right now. There's a theme park 100 yards right over yeah, there. Yeah, right there. Yeah. You can't yeah. see it. You know, you, you can't hear it. You know, this, this could be, you know, at a national park. And that's, you know, and, and when you think about this is the largest building that's ever been done in the, the arts and crafts style. That, really? that Yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, up until, you know, prior to that, I think it was the Gamble House in Pasadena. So, I mean, it, it's it's impressive, but at the same time, it's pricey. Yeah. Um, but now, evidently, the, the the upside of DCA making its dramatic turn and becoming the go-to place, they've seen, you know, I mean, this never had 
occupancy problems. I mean, I'm sure if anybody in the planet knows that, it's you. Yeah, yeah. You know, but now they're getting that much more of a demand. Yeah, I mean, demand's not going to go down because no. of DC now. Yeah, and the true. fact that you could walk out the door and, you know, in five minutes be on Radio Springs Racer. Yep. That's and now they've got early entry for DCA and so oh. stuff. Yeah, so the price isn't going to go down anytime soon. Well, speaking of which, I guess it's finally time for us to go into DCA. All right, so so, uh, so that does it for this particular episode of, uh, of the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed walking around uh, downtown Disney with us. For, uh, for Jim Hill, I'm Len Testa, and we'll see you on the next show.